All right. Good to see you here. If you have a Bible, if you turn uh, in the Bible to Psalm chapter 40, that would be wonderful. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one there out of the pew rack uh, right in front of you and uh, follow along with us. Psalm 40. And we're going to read the, we're going to go through the, uh, the last part in our sermon today. We'll read the entire Psalm just for context and uh, continuing uh, and getting ready to finish up this portion of the Psalms. Actually, I told you a few weeks ago that uh, my goal was to get through book number one of the Psalms, which is through chapter 41. So next week will be chapter 41, and uh, then we'll be done with the Psalms for, uh, for the season, and we'll move on from there. We're excited uh, in our missions moment for next month in October. Uh, October, I think it's 9th, we have uh, Pastor Keith Bradley, who is a uh, pastor over in Callahan, but he's also uh, a missionary we support uh, through the chaplaincy program there at the, uh, at the Sheriff's Department. So he'll be with us uh, that Sunday and bringing the message from God's Word, and he's so capable to, to do that, and I'm excited to hear from them and then from, from him. And then after that, we will go into our new series uh, called, remember what it's called? Watch Your Mouth, right? Watch Your Mouth. I shouldn't give anyone a heads up. I know most of you are like, I'm going to plan a trip for vacation during that week. I'll be gone for how long is that series? Yeah, I'll be gone that long, right? I won't tell you. It's good. It's going to be good. It's being good for me to study and, and re, uh, re-look at this. Uh, it'll be good for our church to go through this and, and just to get a, get a good attitude of the heart when it comes to what we say and how we speak to one another. Um, I think I've learned that more and more as I became a parent, right? And, uh, and then realized the way I spoke to my sibling and to my parents, it kind of was a, a shocker, an eye-opener. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Susan, for that update. I know Susan and a lot of you maybe have, maybe have been out there uh, in Weed and in Chastina through our disaster relief program and through the chaplaincy there, able to, to even sift through things and search for things uh, with people and just being there, being a shoulder and being a support has been a great way to, to love. So, yeah, continue to keep them in prayer as well. Um, so we're in Psalm 40, and uh, again, we're going to finish up next week with Psalm 41. Uh, and I've, I just love the Psalms. They're so rich, and this season has, has been rich for our church, I believe, and for myself. Um, last week, we looked at the first half of Psalm 40, and we saw that, uh, that David was, was just proclaiming his readiness to be all in for Jesus, right? His willingness to, and readiness to, to do God's will. He wanted his life to be sold out for Jesus, and I think we want our lives to be sold out for Jesus. We looked at what, what did it take uh, to put ourselves in a position to, to be ready to do God's will. And now he continues today, as we look at verses 9 through uh, 17, he's going to continue that thought through today's, today's uh, text. And we're going to see this deep confidence, though, that's displayed. And it's, it's going to be a theme throughout every point we see today in every uh, part of the text, this deep confidence and this hope that wells up within him, and, and I hope that wells up within you and I, uh, as he and as we trust the Lord, and, and as we're reminded of his salvation. And uh, today is it's uh, I never it never ceases to amaze me. You know, I used to have Lord's Supper a lot more rarely than we do. Now we celebrate it at the uh, last Sunday of every month, and and I don't anymore. I don't try to plan a sermon 
that, that just connects with the Lord's Supper. I mean, obviously, every sermon, what I'm finding, connects with the Lord's Supper, right? Every sermon connects with uh, Christ's sacrifice for us and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today is, is no exception. We'll look at that in depth and see uh, the confidence we have, this hope that we have, that sure, that there is no other hope. That's the title of today's message, No Other Hope. You can certainly follow along in, from your bulletin. You'll see the, uh, the message notes there. Uh, if you don't grab bulletins, those are usually available in excess on the kiosk, and you can always grab those uh, to go along, uh, follow along. And uh, by all means, you don't have to keep up with me as you go through the text uh, at the bottom, but they're there for your reference later. So the notes are there for you. Uh, there is no other hope. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to go to Psalm chapter 40. We'll actually read the entire text, and then we'll break apart 9 through 17, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your love. And Lord, as we come together uh, on this day, the Lord's Day, we come to celebrate you, to, uh, to think of you, and God, to exalt your name. We want to lift you up high. Uh, and God, as we look to your word, uh, we lift it up high as well. And we, we, God, come under the authority of it. God, we ask that your spirit would, would open our hearts and minds, that God, you would convince us of truth and convict us of sin and move us to a place of righteousness and obedience. God, we want to be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, to look more and more like him. And God, that takes humility. God, leaving behind what we thought we had all together, uh, leaving behind what we thought was true or right, and, and really embracing what is true and right, and that comes from you. And today, God, as we look uh, to your word and we find that there is no other hope, God, may our confidence in you and our hope in you swell. God, may it grow to a point that we, we can live and walk and speak in confidence, in faith, and in obedience. We trust you, we give you all the praise, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the text today we'll read from Psalm 40. I'll read the entire psalm, and then we'll, uh, we'll break it apart. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies? Lord, my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us, none can compare with you. If I were to re uh, report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. You do not delight in sacrifice or in offerings. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for whole burnt offering or sin offering. Then I said, see, I have come. Uh, in the scroll it is written about me. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. Verse 9. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed, as you know, Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. I am unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my courage leaves me. Lord, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry to my help, or to help me, Lord. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish to harm me be turned back and humiliated. Let those who, who would say to me, aha, aha, be appalled because of their shame. 
Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, The Lord is great. I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. This is God's word. Well, today we are looking at the title, No Other Hope. We'll break this second section of Psalm 40 down uh, into three different sections. Number one is this. We look at, and we, when we look to something like the Lord Jesus as having, we have no other hope to go to, that's he's our only hope. Then we, number one, proclaim the greatness of God and we rest in his compassion. When we have found that there is no other hope, we proclaim the greatness of God and we rest in his compassion. Do you have a question, Lois? Yes, I do. What's your way? Verse number nine. You bet. So we're in Psalm 40, look at verses 9 through 11. We proclaim the greatness of God and rest in his compassion. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed. As you know, Lord, I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Lord, you, uh, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. Let's, let's just take that apart and look at that for a minute. When we talk about the idea, we're going to proclaim, we, we have no other hope, right? And David is, is clinging to hope. Again, the rest of this passage, he is, he is welling up inside of him this strength and this courage and this hope that there is a knowledge and a confidence that he can walk with. And you and I should also walk with when we know the Lord in faith. He says, I proclaim, there again, again is worship. Remember, he put a new song in his heart last week. Again, he's proclaiming, he's not keeping silent. As God has changed us, as God has saved us, there's a new song in our heart that we should sing, and it should be not only to our, heart, our own heart and to the Lord Jesus and to one another, but it is a, a form of evangelism out uh, as well to the, to the community at large. But he says, I'm going to proclaim your righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed. So he's saying, I'm not withholding this proclamation from you, God. I'm not, I'm not keeping silent. I'm not just going to sit by idly and say nothing. And he says uh, in then verse 10, I did not hide I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. Now, this doesn't mean what we might take it as. It's like, wait, he didn't hide his righteousness in his heart. He should have done that. No, he, he has God's righteousness in his heart, but he didn't hide it there so it wouldn't be seen by everybody else. That's what he's saying. I, he said, God, I did not withhold your righteousness from other people to show that, the great depth of salvation that has occurred for me. He said, I did not hide. Now, I want to, I want to show four things here that regard a heart for what God has done, right? When we proclaim the greatness of God, here's what he's talking about. Here's the four things that he's talking about that are greatness of God. One is what? I did not hide your righteousness. I want to speak about your righteousness. All of your conduct is correct all the time. Your perfection and purity is always right. And it's what I need. And in fact, it's what I exchanged my filthy rags for was your righteousness. There's no way I could ever earn it on my own. So he proclaims God's righteousness as part of the greatness of God. So he says, your righteousness in verse 10. Uh, and then I spoke about what? Your faithfulness, right? And salvation uh, in verse 10. I spoke about, and, and I want you to get this word, maybe underline it or circle it. There, there's all kinds of ways people can try to find righteousness or try to find faithfulness or try to find love or truth. But what David says is something a little bit bigger than just that. He says, I did not hide what? Your righteousness God I did not I spoke about your faithfulness this is not just generic faithfulness it's not the it's not the the, the generic cheap stuff you'd buy right this is the full-on full effect it is the all-in-all all righteousness and faithfulness of God he says your faithfulness and salvation 
God is always faithful. He'd never turn his back. He would never uh, tell a lie. He would never abandon a promise or a covenant that he has. He's always faithful. And that's what is part of his salvation. He says, I did not conceal your constant love. This is that word hesed. Remember that word hesed, right? Hesed love. It's that God's faithful love. It's his covenant love. He says, I did not conceal your faithful love. And that's something, that, man, you and I, as we proclaim God's greatness to one another, we need to be proclaiming God's faithful love. Even in the hard times, I love the song we sang, in the troubled times or when I win, it doesn't matter that he's still my all in all. He's still my everything. He's still a great God that I am going to worship and that is, that is worthy to be proclaimed about. I want to share his constant love, his faithful love, his steadfast love uh, as I share. And I want to share your truth. I did not conceal your truth, God. There's no better confidence to have. There's no better strength and courage to find than when you have found truth that's real. Truth that lasts. Truth that you didn't make up, that you don't even have to defend, that truth can stand on its own, and it is God's truth. You think about the middle of the hardest time in your life, when, when these things converge on you, you're like, I'm good. No matter what happens, when His righteousness, when His faithfulness, when His constant, steadfast, faithful love, and His truth invade, you're like, I... I don't know how, but I have courage. I don't know how, but I have strength. I don't know how, but I can rest in him. Going on in that, in verse 11, it says, uh, Lord, you do not withhold. So there's this, this uh, play on words here in verse 10. I didn't withhold. So David says, I didn't withhold. And what he knows about God in a minute is, God, you didn't withhold either. I didn't withhold that I knew you and that you're faithful and you're righteous and you have constant love and you're full of truth, but God, you didn't withhold. And what did he say about his, what he didn't withhold? You didn't withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. What is he acknowledging? God, you are great, and these are, how you're, these are the ways you're great, but God, in fact, it's you that has given us your greatness. It's your salvation. It's your compassion. It's your constant love. It's your truth that have, have come and let my heart rest and be guarded. So we proclaim that God is righteous in His, in his faithfulness and in his, in his constant love that we proclaim that He is for us so we'd have courage and strength. And I want to read a passage out of Romans 8. I think I read this a few weeks ago. It says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son. I love that. You see that? He didn't spare. David said, I didn't withhold. Speaking about your righteousness, God, you didn't withhold your compassion. How did God not withhold his compassion for us? By not even sparing his own son, but giving him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, because of you we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But we proclaim, right? We proclaim. He has given us rest and he's given us his compassion through Jesus Christ. So, so know in all these things, no matter what, no, no matter what, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He did not even withhold his own son for us. You think about how we're partaking in the Lord's Supper today, how wonderfully that fits, doesn't it? We remember what he gave us. We remember what, what he gave us, uh, and he's so worthy to be proclaimed about and, and spoken about and sung about, and, and that we don't hide that from anybody. We proclaim how great he is, and, and that we have this rest and assurance because of the compassion he's given us through the Lord Jesus Christ, as he gave us himself as a sacrifice, a fragrant offering. Scripture says that he died where I deserve to die. He died the death I deserve to die. He did it for me, though. He didn't do it because he was bad or wrong or he deserved it. He did it because I did. Because you did. And when we look at him, we see the compassion and graciousness of God. We see, we see his righteousness. We see his faithfulness. We see his constant love and his truth being poured out to you and me through the Lord Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So we proclaim the greatness of God and we rest in his compassion. We see it lived out. How do we see this lived out? This, this should well up inside of us, right? And as David's welling up, there's still pressures all around. We'll see in a few minutes. 2 Corinthians 4, this is a, a wonderful passage of Scripture, beginning in verse 7. It says, we have this treasure. What is this treasure? It's, it's what God has poured out to us, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his, his steadfast love, his truth, his compassion, his grace through Jesus Christ, that he spare his own son. He's given us, through faith in Christ, he's given us this secure salvation that cannot be taken away. And there's no other hope. So now we have this treasure. And we're considered jars of clay. right? He, it, this amazing treasure that's, that's more valuable than anything is now inside of us. Why? So that this extraordinary power, the greatness of God, may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus might also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life might also be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then, death is at work in us, but life in you. But what's Paul saying? It gets bad out there. He, he, he made this, he said, uh, there's despair, right? There's, we're, there's affliction and um, there's despair and, and there's a, people can abandon or persecute you. Uh, we could be just struck down or think we're destroyed. And if, if you're feeling all the time that that's all that happens to you, that I'm just destroyed, I'm worth nothing, I'm, that this, uh, this life is not worth it, you're not understanding the compassion and the grace of Christ. You're not letting that rest on you. You're not proclaiming the greatness of God over those circumstances. Why? Because he didn't, and I've had this conversation so often, I want us to think about this. We have this very, very temporal view of life. Why? Because I wake up to an alarm clock, and I roll out of bed, and I ache, and I have pains, and you take your Advil, and you start moving on to eat your breakfast, and then you, you, you do it all over the next day eventually, right? It's like this thing just keeps on going on. And we, we stub our toe and we get hurt and we get sick and we want to recover and, and we think there's time involved in that and we, our focus is on this life and we have kids or friends and family and they're, they're aging and they're growing up and, and it's like it's going so fast. So we, we're, really, we're really all in with this life, aren't we? It's like this is what we see, this is what we feel. 
And then when it comes to the gospel in church, we're like, yes, Jesus, I love Jesus. He's amazing, and he died for me. And then here's what we get to thinking. That poor me in my life and, and this, this little temporal time I have, shouldn't Jesus fix this and make it better for me? And, and here's what he reminded me of, and here's what I would remind you of, and I've reminded several in the past. Jesus didn't come from heaven, put on human flesh, die on a cross, rise from dead, so that you and I could be squared away okay for this life. That's ridiculous. Does he care about you in this life? Absolutely. Does he want to encourage you and, and see you grow and see you, see you succeed? Absolutely. But he wants to see your heart thrive because you know him. And, and what he has accomplished through his death and burial and resurrection is not for this life only, but is it especially for the life to come. That that is where hope is. See, in this life, there is, there is no hope other than Jesus because at the end of this life, right, two things are constant, two things are sure, and that is what? Death and taxes. <laughs> for sure death. If you're a tax avoider, don't be. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, the Bible says. But you're going to die, and I'm going to die. This body that is carrying my soul is going to die. And that is hopeless unless you have Jesus. Because he didn't stay dead, so we would stay dead. He rose from the dead, conquering death, so we, through faith in him, could live. And that's the hope we have. So that's the perspective we have. Yes, I'm going to have these times where I feel like I'm abandoned. I, do, I feel like I'm persecuted, but I'm, I, I need to know I'm not abandoned. I, I'm, there's going to be times where I feel afflicted in every way, but I'm not crushed. I'm going to feel, what, perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm going to feel like I'm struck down, but you know what? I'm not destroyed because there's hope in Jesus. And when we proclaim the greatness of God, then we can rest in his compassion, knowing that he has produced something for us, a, a weight of eternal glory. Going on here, he says, we know once, uh, For we know the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase uh, to the glory of God. What, what is this? It looks like proclamation again, right? And in this passage, we're riddled. We see the greatness of God and his extraordinary power. We see the greatness of God as he, as he lavishes his compassion on us through the Lord Jesus. And we see this proclamation of the glory of God as we rest and trust in him. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, right? This life is not all fun. Even though this outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day for our momentary light affliction. You know what that's describing? Momentary light affliction. He's describing life. And you're like, no way. Yes, way. This life is a momentary light affliction. You're like, Brandon, you don't know my affliction. I don't, but he does. And you know what he knows even better? He contrasts yours and my momentary light affliction with the eternal weight of glory we're going to have with him. He says this momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So then what? We do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal Listen, there is hope in Jesus Christ, in his salvation. There's hope in the greatness of God. There's hope in his compassion that he's lavished on us, uh, on us. And there is nothing 
else like it. There is no other hope. Number two, when we know there's no other hope, we pray with courage and we pray with confidence. Uh, this, this convicted me. Because I think of these, I, these momentary light afflictions of life, we get to that point of like, I'm feeling a little anxious or I'm feeling a little this or that and I, I, need, to, I need to pray. And like, you're like, God, I know you see me and maybe you could make this a little better and make me more comfortable. And you're like, I don't want to, should I pray that? Should I not pray that? I'm not saying God doesn't like those little prayers that are even uneasy and unsure. But we, we have a God that wants us to go to him in courage and in hope and pray hope. It doesn't mean he's going to answer exactly what you want or what I want, but we're going to pray and hope. I want to see what David prays. Look at Psalm 40. <clears throat> Look at verse 12. And we have to really go back to verse 11, right? Because it says, For troubles without number have... So he says, there's something about what I just said, which needs to be down here. And what he just said is this, Lord, uh, you do not withhold your compassion from me. This is so important. Remember this. When I'm about ready to pray... God, you do not withhold your compassion. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. All right. I say that to pep myself up a little bit and right, give me, a, give me a, a pep talk. And then I say, God, troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me and I am unable to see. I want you to stop for a minute there. David is not praying, God, I don't like this life. It's not very happy. I don't, and he has before. He has before said, listen, there's a lot of trouble going on around me. Here, he's actually saying, God, I've caused this. When he says uh, the, the, the troubles without number, it really is evils, and it has to do with evils associated with sin. So certainly it could be some sin around in other people that are affecting him, but he's talking about his own iniquities, right? The next line, my iniquities, my own sins have overtaken me. I am unable to see. He says, I'm nothing. I'm in ruin. I'm nothing, and I can't even see straight. But he's remembering, God, you're the one with compassion. You're the one who does not withhold compassion. Your constant love and your truth will always guard me. So I'm giving this to you so you won't withhold your compassion, so you won't withhold your love and truth. Do we go, do we, when we pray, do we do that? Do we go saying, God, I, I'm feeling kind of stuck here and hard. I need out of it. Or do we go, God, I feel stuck here and it feels hard and difficult, but God, I want your compassion and I want your constant love and your truth to be revealed to me. I want to know what you see. I want to know what you know. I want, I want your heart. That's what we're seeking. That's what we should be seeking. It says, there are more than the hairs on my head is troubles, right? And the courage, my courage leaves me. My courage leaves me. I love, though, his vulnerability. He goes straight to it. It says, God, you're compassionate. You're gracious. You love me and your truth is what I'm seeking. If your truth is what I'm seeking, I better be truthful with you. Right? How often do you and I hide from God because we're trying to hide our sin from God? We're trying to hide the things that we should be dealing with, our shame or our guilt. We're trying to hide that from God. We, we shouldn't be hiding from God. We should be running to him saying, God, your constant love and your truth are what guard me, so I'm going to be truthful with you. And David was. He says, my sin has made a mess of this, God. So he says, Lord... Verse 13, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Hurry to help me. I, I, it's interesting. I think that you look at this text and he's demanding God. God, you right now, hurry right now and help me. And, and he is. He's saying that. It is an imperative right now. But I think the heart of it is this. And what you and I should learn is this. 
when you need to do business with God, hurry up and do business with God. Go in a hurry to Him. He's always accessible to us. So I shouldn't have to say, God, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I should say, Brandon, hurry up to God. Let's get my heart to God. I want to look at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to take a break out of this and go to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaching, you should pray like this. He's our Father in heaven. Your name be honored as holy. Right? There's exaltation. God, you're God. I'm going to proclaim the greatness of God. Similar themes. Uh, your kingdom come. So I'm acknowledging that there's a kingdom that's not mine. It's yours. And I want your kingdom to come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I, I can tag this on. I want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in my heart. In me first. You see his priorities? He's like, God, I'm coming to you in a hurry because I, I may not be quite aligned with where you are. So I've got to remember your compassion. I've got to remember your constant love. I've got to remember your truth for me. And God, I want you to come in a hurry and I want to align my heart with yours. And give us today our daily bread. And it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It, what, what the Lord's Prayer is saying, God, you are all I need. You, the daily bread that you're going to offer me is everything I need. The forgiveness I seek can only come from you. And the only the ability and the fruit uh, from a spirit inside of me to forgive others can only come from you as well. So he's saying, God, I exalt you. I want, I want my priorities right now to line up with your priorities that are in heaven. And I want you to be everything that I need. You are what I need. Right? This is a prayer of confidence, not a prayer of like, well, maybe I can talk to God a little bit. It's a prayer of confidence. But it's also a heart that yields to the Lord Jesus and repents of sin. And I would say, don't wait to pray that prayer. Don't wait to pray with confidence to the Lord. He goes on here, and I want us to notice here the verbs in the beginning uh, in verse 13 are imperative form, they're imperative, and then the verbs following are in the future tense and express the language of a lively, active faith and hope. So look at this, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 13, I'm sorry, verse 10, I'm looking at the Lord's Prayer, wrong one, uh, verse 13, Lord, please come to the rescue, hurry up and help me. That sounds like he wants it done when? Now, that's imperative, right? God, right now that we need to hurry up. As he switches gears now in verse 14, he says, Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Now, if this is a future tense verb, what is he praying? He's praying in hope and in confidence, knowing that God will be just. That God will deal with this how God needs to deal with it. Let those who wish me harm be turned back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled because of their shame. This is a faith, a prayer of faith. Faith in what? In God, because there is no other hope. And, and he's confident that the Lord will deal justly with the unjust. I want to read a couple of passages out of Isaiah that really really help bolster this confidence. Chapter 41, verse 9 says this, I brought you, God, right? God, I brought you from the ends of the earth and called you from the farthest corners. I said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you. I haven't rejected you. Doesn't that feel good? When we're gods, we're gods, right? He says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Does that breed any type of confidence in you? I, I pray yes. 
any type of, of strength, any type of courage in you. Yes, God is holding on to you. And he goes on, uh, be sure that all who are enraged against you, this is that faith, we have trust God in this, all that are enraged against you, they will be ashamed and disgraced. Those who contend with you will become as nothing and will perish. You will look for those who contend with you, but you will not find them. Those who war against you will become absolutely nothing. What's God saying? I'm going to take care of it. I'll take care of it. And he, in verse 13 here, he says, I, for I am the Lord your God who holds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Do you think, do you think, you and I, like David, could pray to God in courage and confidence because of what we know? We should be able to, right? He wants us to know Him, and He wants us to know the courage that comes from Him. He says, do not fear. In Isaiah 45, He says, turn to me. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, right? There is no other hope but in me. For I am God and there is no other. There it is. There's no other by, uh, by myself I have sworn truth has gone from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will swear allegiance. It will be said about me, righteousness and strength are found in the Lord. Isn't that exactly what David is saying? It's what you and I should claim and, and cling to and proclaim that righteousness and strength are found in the Lord. All who are enraged against him will come to him and be put to shame. All the descendants of Israel will be justified, and they will boast in the Lord. All of this is to say that, that there is no other hope, and we have no other hope except for the Lord, and He is for us and not against us, and that He causes us to not fear, and we, we can have courage, and we have confidence when we go to Him in prayer. As Christ sacrificed Himself, as He rose from the grave, He proved that He was the only one worthy of our affection, our attention, and that we were the ones He died for to bring us into a relationship with him, to renew us and give us courage and strength and hope, a hope that does not disappoint. Acts 4.12 says there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. So when we come today, as we look at the word, we come in remembering what he's done. We come to the Lord's table and we remember what he has done. We know that there is no other God. There is no one else. There's no other, no other place to find hope. It is only in Christ. And we celebrate that. We turn to Him in faith and then we celebrate Him. We proclaim Him. We, we pray and we, we even partake in confidence because of what He has done. And that leads us to the final point. When there's no other hope, we know the hope, then we remember and we say, Lord, I am weak, but You are strong. I am weak, but you are strong. Let's go back to Psalm 40, verses 16 and 17, the last two verses of the text. Let all who seek you, it says, let all who seek you. This goes back to uh, verse 14 when it said, let those who intend to take my life. Like there, there's, there's the thems and the thoses here, right? The thems is like, God, I'm going to trust with courage and that you will take care of the thems or the thoses or both. But when it comes to this, let all, who, let all who seek you, right? There's a difference here, right? Those who seek you, let those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Why? Because there's no other hope. We rejoice and be glad in you. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, now get this, I want to stop there. 
those who love your salvation. This goes back to the beginning when David's talking about his righteousness and his faithfulness and his constant love and his truth. That's loving. That's the heart of loving God's salvation and knowing God's salvation. It's all from God and not from us. We are weak. He is strong. And, and this idea of those who love your salvation, may they continually say. That word continually, that really, really helps us today. Because what are we doing through this? We are continually remembering the Lord's sacrifice. We are continually proclaiming the greatness of God. We are continually proclaiming the Lord's death and his resurrection until he returns. Let all of us continually remember and say, the Lord is great. And I want you to get this perspective. When we pray with confidence and we, we know that he is our only hope, people who, who love the Lord's salvation, who have been changed by that and have found hope in that and have found courage and forgiveness of sin, people who love the Lord's deliverance, they will watch for it, they will remember it, and they will pray for it. They'll expect it to come. He says, God, help me remember. Just help me remember. It's, it's really what it is, is a remembering issue for you and I. My grandpa, <laughs> as he got older, I, I loved his sense of humor, and some of you probably knew him. And, um, but as, as he got older, he, he, every morning he'd get up and want to chat about something. Or in the afternoon, we'd chat about something we already chatted about. I said, Grandpa, we already talked about that. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, I, I need my ginkgo biloba. He just talked, continued to talk about it. I need my, my supplements to help me remember. I, I'm just having a hard time remembering. I don't think you have to be aging and need ginkgo biloba to have a hard time remembering. We seem to forget as we walk out the doors sometimes, don't we? Of the greatness of God, of, of who he is. But let all who seek him rejoice and be glad in him. Let those who love his salvation continually say, continually remember, the Lord is great. And then verse 17, he says this. There's, there's, there's two, I'm going to underline them right now. I'm going to highlight them here. In verse 17, it starts out, I am oppressed. So I am, I'm going to circle that. It's not circling the I am. It's not an I am statement of Jesus. That's not why we're doing that. There's a contrast. This is I am. It's, it's David saying, this is my state. I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. And what's the next, next word there? You are. You are. I am weak, but you are strong. I am weak, but you are strong. I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are are my helper, my deliverer, my God. Do not delay. Do not delay. We have to remember that. As we know there's no other hope, we, that we then remember that you are not even your own hope. Your abilities, your knowledge, your great doctrine you have, it means nothing compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of our salvation perfect through suffering. Right? God's, God's idea is like, this is how I'm going to lavish my compassion on you. And by the way, I'm the one from whom and through whom all things exist. Right? You're weak, I'm strong. For the one who sanctifies and, and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So again, this is a quote of 41, I'll proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I'll sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him. Jesus saying that my trust is in the Father. Again, here I am with the children God gave me. That's an amazing thing that, that God, through what he has accomplished, through sending Christ to die and to rise from the dead, 
what he's accomplished is for you and I to be able to come and be brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus, that he would then proclaim to the congregation that these are my brothers and sisters. Why? Not because they're good enough, because I'm good enough. He said, now since the children had flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these things so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were being held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So he, he came to destroy death. He was the one who could do it. The, for the rest of us, you and I, who were the weak ones, who couldn't destroy death, but we were held in captivity and in slavery and by fear and death all our lives. That's who God is. That's what God has done. And, and we have to remember, I didn't do it. I can't do it. I'm unable to do it on my own. I have to have him do it for me. 2 Corinthians 12, my last passage today, says this. He said to me, in the midst of knowing, man, I am just not all put together. I do not have the strength to do this. I can't do it on my own. Again, this is what we're reminded about. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong then I am strong. We have to know and remember, when, when we know there's no other hope, when we come and celebrate the Lord's table, we are remembering, Lord, I am the weak one, you are strong. And I will let your power rest on me. And as I partake, it's not because I'm, I got my act together today and I'm good enough. It's that I knew I never was, but through faith in Christ, you've forgiven me and given me a righteousness that I never deserved. So I partake because I am weak and you are strong. In his sacrifice, the Lord says, you can't do it. But I can. And he says, I did. So we remember and we proclaim what he has done. We proclaim what he has accomplished for us on that cross. We proclaim what he's accomplished in our heart through faith in Christ. And we do it as we look forward to our own resurrection and eternal life with him. Amen. Would you stand together as we pray and prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper and the worship team comes up? Worship team, if you would go ahead and grab your, uh, your double cup as you head to your, your instrument, that would be great. Today as we partake, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace. And God, we have to re resoundingly say and proclaim that there is no other hope. There's no hope anywhere else except for Jesus. There's fake hopes, there's pseudo-hopes, there's, there's I, I really hope this would work, but God, in you is true hope true compassion, true, true grace and steadfast love. Let us cling to that. Let us remember that, God, we, we are weak and we can't accomplish our own salvation. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, we celebrate you today and we proclaim you today. And God, may it well up within us this hope, this confidence, this courage, this strength to live our lives boldly proclaiming the greatness of God. We thank you. We love you and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.